Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Kathy Kyles from Roselle, New Jersey, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Cue the music. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on this beautiful December day. And by beautiful, I mean absolutely frigging miserable. I am counting down the days till Australia. Matt is here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Yeah, we're we're definitely not in Malaga anymore. Mm, yeah, but we wish we were. David is here. Hello, David. Hello. Yeah, Solihull ain't sunny today, I'm afraid, folks. <laughs> so just, there's no point in trying to put a gloss on it. I went a little walk with the kids this morning to the bus stop just because I was worried for their safety in the gloom. Uh, they thought I was crazy, but I did it. Uh, and that's mm. the sum total of my outdoors day. Mm. It's it's not a time for being out outdoors in the UK at the moment. But Australia beckons, folks. We can't wait. Thank you to Kathy Kyles there for introducing the show. Kathy is, of course, from New Jersey because apparently all of our listeners are from New Jersey and we welcome everybody from that church and other churches. A bit of supplementary information for you about Kathy. She is the owner of two corgis, one named Ethan and one named Chloe. Kathy, same church, different pew. You sound great. Well done for being a corgi owner and being called Kathy. And being from New Jersey, home, of course, of Bruce Springsteen. Uh, what are we going to talk about on this episode? I hear you cry. Barely any tennis has happened and you've already completely trashed the next gen finals in your last <laughs> episode. Well, we are going to talk a bit about the next gen finals. Um, we're going to bring you up to date with a few other bits and bobs of tennis news that have broken over the course of the last week. Some of it quite exciting and we're also going to bring you up to date with some of our news more of that to come and in part two of the show today we're going to be speaking to Matt Futterman from The Athletic about a really interesting existential political tennis story that he broke in The Athletic uh, over the past week and what do we love here on the tennis podcast existential political tennis chat yes we do <laughs> um, let's start with the straightforward stuff first though let's start with the next gen finals staged 
in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for the first time and won by Hamad Mijedovic uh, from Serbia. He beat Artifis in the final. Enter Artifis correspondent David Law. You watched some of that final, David? Most. Most of that final. Uh, all five curtailed sets of it. That's what I'm going to call the fast four. <laughs> curtailed sets. I've got th- I've um, got things to say, David. They're definitely things that I've said on this podcast. Every year. <laughs> an- annually for the last five years. But I'll be yes. saying them again at some point. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I, I was following the progress of this, this tournament very loosely, um, mainly because of Artifice, uh, unsurprisingly. I, I kind of think that one of the the trademarks of the event is that it has been won by some serious people who've become serious champions thinking back to or at least serious contenders you know you you think early on it was uh, it was Stefano Tsitsipas and then Hyung Chung and then um, Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz that the, these are all the sort of people that have, have won it not not every time it's been like that but 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 they've used it as almost a sort of underlining of their potential and status and then they've gone on to back it up and I kind of felt like looking at this field on paper Artifice should be doing that given the year he's just had and sure enough he he beat all the people he was supposed to beat and he did also beat Dominic Stricker which I think given the results Stricker's had is is a decent result and he got into this final and he played Medjedovic who was awesome I cannot tell you how exciting this guy was to watch. Uh, I I don't think I've seen him play really before. I've heard of his name. I know his backstory of being supported by Novak Djokovic financially and just, just generally backed up in that way. But I hadn't watched him play. And he's... He's very different to all the other Serbian players that I can think of, the people like uh, Krajinovic and uh, Kacmanovic and, and Jera, which are, who are all good, solid players, but this guy has got some pizzazz about him. I mean, he has got some serious attitude. He's a showman. He's, he's big and burly, and he wants to come forward, and he wants to dive, and he wants to th- thrash forehands and... and let you hear about it. He's constantly putting his hand to his ear. So when you'd got him and Fees on the court together, it was a really quite high-octane match. And they seemed to like each other. They seemed to get off on the fact that they were creating a buzz between them. Um, and i got to say, Fees did well to, to win the fourth curtailed set, um, coming back from match points down to win that and take it into a decider. But then he had a total meltdown in the in the final set of it. He he thrashed his racket twice, got a point penalty, and Medvedevic was a really comfortable winner in that deciding set. And he just took it from him. And I thought he's got something. Don't you know? I don't know how good his game is. If if a if a real authority on the sport, a coach or a player, were to look at his his base game and tell me who doesn't know about these things, how good is this guy's game? But goodness me, he brings his presence to bear. And uh, and I, I liked what I saw. Sounds to me, David, like you might have done a Darwin and uh, switched up your allegiances. Have you transferred your hype <laughs> from Artifice? No. 
No, because no. I mean, I th- I listen. It I, sounds like you might. Well, have. I really like this guy, and I really like him indoors. It'll be interesting. I always, I'm always fascinated to see how does a player transfer what they've got on the surface on which you discover them onto other surfaces. Now, first time I saw Feast was indoors on all the the sort of French tournaments of February and March, and actually, when I look at his game now, I think this guy is going to be so hard to beat on clay. Uh, feast with the spin he's got and the physicality he's got and actually he the, there are players and I think Majedovic is one of them who can find ways to hurt him on faster surfaces taking his time away because he's got a big wind-up forehand and he uh, etc um, but no I'm I'm still very high on Artifice I, I think that the second year could be difficult by comparison because People like me have hyped him to the hilt and everybody's expecting a lot. And now he's got Sergi Bagheera and Sebastian Grosjean on his coaches. He's supposed to now do other things, not just be 37 in the world. Um, whereas Majedovic has probably got a bit of a free hit for the next year because he's still 100 in the world. Um, but he's definitely made me think, right, this is a guy I'm going to be looking out for in 2024. Who's going to have the better career? Oh, Catherine, that's a bit early, isn't it? <laughs> but that's what this tennis podcast is for. Feast David, is going to have the better David, career. David, it's, it, it's a short agenda for this show. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going Feast. Work, work with me here. Feast. What are you, what are you saying, Matt? Uh, speaking as someone who watched none of the Next Gen Finals. <laughs> Did you actually watch none? None. Did you go totally tennis cold turkey? Yeah. I mean... That's fair, isn't it? I, I'd watched a lot of tennis the week before. It's They're playing first to four in a set. I don't need to be watching too much of that, I don't think. I did watch a very enjoyable video that the ATP did, putting putting all of the players, except Majedovic, actually, because he was late arriving at the tournament because he was in Malaga for the Davis Cup with the Serbian team. They put all seven of them sort of through their paces physically in a series of challenges. Um, it was sprints. It was good content, wasn't it? Was it was jumping. It was they, really they good. They did do good content last week, and, yeah. And unsurprisingly, Feast won it. You know, he, he is just so athletically superior, I think, to a lot of other players his age. That is instantly what is striking and, and impressive about him, I think. Um, and interestingly, I saw afterwards Majedovic said that physically is is the sort of element that he thinks he really can improve still on on his game uh, so it would have been interesting to see how he would have stacked up in in that test compared to some of the others um but yeah i will i will abstain from saying who who will have the better career because i i really haven't haven't watched that that much of mcjedovic i i'm somewhere in between the two of you because i i but i didn't sort of mentally check out of the next gen finals. I thought, you know, I'll dip in and out of it here. I'll I'll diligently do my job as a tennis podcaster and Sorry, keep guys. an eye on it and go in, go into the uh <laughs> the scores app, see check check in periodically to see if anything need, needs my attention. Every time I went into the scores app and saw a next gen finals score, I wanted to throw my phone into a bin fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I so support um, their use of the next gen finals for trialing innovations. I think that's a great idea. I'd love to see more of the ones that are very obviously successful transfer to the main tour. We, we're starting to see 
the odd bit of transference. They they did more cutting of faff this time. They had no warm up, didn't they? Big supporter of all of that. Great. Um, however, the altering of the tennis scoring system is offensive. E- even there are two there are two worlds here. There's the utterly non-existent world that absolutely nobody inhabits where you think the tennis problem system, you think that the tennis scoring system is a problem and you want to trial the fast fours thing as a solution to it. Well, we trialed it. It doesn't work. It's crap. And then there's the world that we all actually live in where not only is the tennis scoring system not a problem, it is categorically the single best thing about the sport that should never ever be touched not even in a tournament where you're trialing innovations and that 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 is that i i will accept no debate about why, that why is it such a problem apart from the why, fact that it looks weird because we have the perfect scoring system david and the fast falls one is just a lot less good but tennis why? scoring is perfect but but what it's trying to achieve is giving you more tense and pivotal moments more often it doesn't well it does because there is i think there's there's zero sum of there's zero sum two love two one two two no but that's not faff that's building the tension that you have to have that to get the payoff it's shortcutting it's a shortcut to tension it's for morons (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like it's like say it's like moving the French Open off clay and got going solve solve the problem of the French Open being on clay. That's the best thing about it. Not a problem. I agree. Um, oh, so you were just tr- you were just trying to rile me up? No, well, no. I, t- I tell you what, it is. Catherine, You're already is, pretty riled up, to be fair. <laughs> I was watching this final, and because I know how you feel about it, and I've been hearing about how you feel about it over the course of the week again, and now again, again during the show. Um, and listen, I I ostensibly feel exactly the same way. I do feel it. it look, the, the sheer look of it is weird. Um, but I was trying to get past that. I was trying to think, well, who's this for? It's not for me, tennis fan who loves the scoring system as it is and doesn't want tennis to change very much other than the bits that I like changing. Um, but there's a full house watching this match. You know, I don't like where it's been played. But there are, there are people that aren't going to be my age demographic. What's my son doing right now? He's he's 11 years of age. If I bring him in, in here to watch this and it's 2-1 in the first set and it's the first to six, when does it get interesting, Dad, is what I'm thinking he is probably going to be thinking. This gives you more uh, shorter amounts of time to get it interesting in each set is, is kind of what I think that they're trying to achieve. And I was trying to work out, well, is that good? And I thought, well, maybe it is for some people. I'm curious. To, I'd be curious to, for market research to be done with people who aren't us, frankly, who are young people who are into YouTube or into Twitter or into Snapchat I, and all I, the rest I, of it. I'm into YouTube, David. <laughs> We're in our okay. YouTube era, David. I understand that. We are that. all okay. YouTubers. Let me pivot to Snapchat and to <laughs> all the th- all. I mean, my son writes texts on WhatsApp which are just full of single letters. And these apparently are understandable words uh, in his vernacular. 
not to me. Um, but to be honest with you, when we got into the deciding set and we've just had this 4-3 incredible moment um, of, of feast saving match point and we're into the, the fifth curtailed set and suddenly it's over before you get any chance for a switch because one guy's had a bit of a meltdown and that's that. And that's where it doesn't work for me is because everything you've just said about the building of tension and also, to my mind, having a bit of a rest after a after a tie break. I don't want to go straight into another tie break. I'm just recovering from that one. I don't mind having a little bit of a break. Um, and all the advantages. I can't remember. Is it no ad scoring at the next gen? I think it probably yeah. is. And no, I, listen, ultimately, there's a reason why that thing has been running on the next gen finals for the last six years and it hasn't been employed anywhere. Lots of things have been. The the no towels, the the Hawkeye Live, the shot clock. This thing hasn't. There's a good reason for that. It's mm. crap. And just just get rid of it and because it it as I say it it distracts from the fact that actually the innovation thing is broadly really really good um, and does does give that event a a purpose beyond just here's a load of here's a load of kids playing for a load of money in Saudi Arabia. Um, but yeah, we, we know that doesn't work. That's not, we're not trialing that. We're just doing something we know is crapper than the, <laughs> the available alternative. I would, David, invite, um, people that are fans of the scoring system, you know, people that like Snapchat and such to, to write into us or communicate with us about why, uh, they do, mm. but I have just called them all morons. So I they're, <laughs> they're not in the mood to chat. Feel free to reply. <laughs> It was it was quite funny to me how how so many of these matches, which again I wasn't watching, but I was just keeping an eye on on it, how they still seem to be going two and a half hours, two hours forty five minutes. There were there were some really quite long matches at this at this tournament, which does suggest that again, shortening the scoring system is not necessarily the thing that's going to speed the sport up. Um, obviously, it will, you know, compared to a best of five with, with everything to six, naturally it will be shorter. But there are other elements than just adapting the scoring system. Um, m- my favourite short format of tennis is is the system that the Labour Cup has, which is two two full sets to six mm. and then and then a match tie break. Um, if, Agreed. If you absolutely insist on on, on shortening it from from best of three, then that's my Sorry, personal Matt, I think, preference. I think you mean the Champions Tour? The Labour Cup stole that from the Champions Tour. Yes. The, the Labour Breaker. The Labour Breaker, the that's Labor it. The Labour Breaker. <laughs> yeah, not in our Champions Tour day, David. That was just a regular tennis match, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, right, so that is the next-gen finals. That's all that's been happening in terms of actual competitive tennis this week. But... Away from the tennis court, we have had the news that Rafael Nadal will be making his return to the tennis court in Brisbane in 2024, two weeks out of the Australian Open. Could everybody describe how they felt when they saw the sort of sizzle video that Rafael Nadal's people put together to announce this news? Matt? Chills, really. I... I found it very emotional. I I think Rafael Nadal's social media is is often quite amusing and and is clearly is clearly done by someone who who doesn't do a lot of social media. Um but 
But in this case, I thought they absolutely nailed it because it was a, a brilliant video with real narrative and obviously started with with the pain of, of Melbourne last year. And uh, then Nadal comes in and, and he gives it his hola todos, which is so often followed followed by bad news in, in, in the last year. And this time it was followed by the news that he's he's feeling good enough to come back in Brisbane. And my mind just started racing. I'm honestly it, it, seeing seeing those images of Nadal in that video. I was like, well, he's winning the French Open, isn't he? And 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 then of course I was having to temper some of those thoughts with, okay, this is you know he's sort of described this already as as his sort of final farewell year. I, I do need to to manage my expectations, but oh, it's going to be amazing to have Nadal back, and also to have Nadal back in a position he's never been in before, which is going to be unseeded in these events you know the the thing about Nadal is he's always been in the top 10 hasn't he because he's mm. he's got that incredible streak he's always managed to put results together on clay his ranking even though he's been injured a lot that's not unfamiliar for him to be coming back it is totally unfamiliar for him to be just anywhere in that draw and the possibilities about who he could face and what he might do are really really exciting so I was very emotional and look no one no one that I've known really has has played with more heart than Rafael Nadal, and I just feel like we're going to get an awful lot of Nadal playing with his heart next year. And oh, I just I just can't wait. It was a real a real off season boost, actually. I, I felt similar chills and excitement, and I also thought, do I owe Craig Tiley an apology? Because <laughs> 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 he said he was coming. <laughs> uh, although you know it was uh, slightly a while ago, and Rafael Nadal didn't seem to know that he was coming, but Craig called it. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I mean, I hate to put a dampener on this, but still, a what is it? A month away, best part of, and I, I just hope that he doesn't have a setback. I he hope made that a video, when... David. That I suggests know. we're Listen, pretty sure this is happening. I... De- there was there was slow motion footage of Nadal in a swimming pool for no apparent reason. <laughs> Efforts I, were made. I definitely feel like he wouldn't be going that far unless he was really feeling I can do this. And because I just I think if he if he was just trying to get out on the court, he'd probably wait a bit and come out come back on the clay or something like that. Um, I know he wants to do, uh, at the very least, he wants to do a kind of farewell tour. He's made that very clear. Um, but I'm, I am, I was really encouraged by the fact that he's he's a month out, told everybody I'm coming and I'm playing Brisbane, and uh, that that there would need to be a setback, I think, from where he is now to feel that he feel that it was under threat. So uh, permission to be excited, granted. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much, David. Uh, Generally, all sorts of excited about Brisbane because Naomi Osaka will also be starting her comeback there as well. What a field. I I, I really like the United Cup, but I'm I'm pleased they've also found room to bring Brisbane back onto the calendar because I think that's a, a really great event. They always used to get great fields. It's a good venue. Um, I think the players are, are pleased to have that back as an option and that is going to be look I know they could both they're they're such unknown quantities of course they could both lose first round but imagining the the build-up to their first matches they could very well be on the schedule on the same day couldn't they I mean I will explode I will 
it makes me feel like a, a a big kid things like this it's really kind of reassuring that this sport still gets me the way it always has because it really just makes me feel like like I'm going to Australia for the first time you know I'm like I'm so excited for for all elements of it um so yeah roll on Brisbane United Cup all of it um last bit of news we were expecting to have maybe more coaching carousel news by this point um but there hasn't been much moving and shaking yet but all that means folks is that it is all still to come and we'll be covering it on future upcoming podcasts but we have had the news in the last couple of days that Xin Wen is back with Perariba um who of course was in the Coco Goff camp over the the illustrious summer that she had with with Brad Gilbert, the sort of less um, spotlighted coach next to to Brad Gilbert, um, we were all anticipating that it would be Gilbert that might leave the camp after the summer, that he might just be the jolt. But actually, uh, he's stayed put, and Perariba has left the Coco Golf Camp and got back together with Zheng Xinwen, who of course got jilted by Wim Fassett, who's gone back to Naomi Osaka. So. I was pleased. I mean, I know everything is framed positively on Instagram, but after what happened to Zheng Xinwen with Wimpisset, and she she talked about how she she channeled the upset over that, didn't she? Um, during her Chinese swing at the Asian Games, where she won gold, I'm pleased to see her in a coaching setup now, which she obviously feels really positive about because I- I'm back on the Zheng Xinwen hype train i am excited for her 2024 and this this announcement just solidifies that yeah definitely and i mean it was it was her partnership with pere reba that that helped take her initially from you know outside of the top 100 to i think i think they got inside the top 30 together and then he left round road on garros time went to work with Coco Goff, as you said and yeah i mean when when Coco Goff said that pere reba had left and it wasn't her decision. I did think the timing of that was maybe slightly more than a coincidence, given that the Zheng Xinwen coaching position was was available again as well because of Winfaset going to Naomi Osaka. Um, so it's clearly been, you know, this this well, it's, it's classic coaching carousel, really, isn't it? Um, and I, I think it's it's good news that yeah, Jung Chin Wen is, is is happy with that and has a full time coach again, and is is ready to come out strong in in twenty twenty four hopefully because she she finished the season just brilliantly. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed for her in twenty twenty four. That is it for tennis news for part one, but that is not it for news because we have personal news and. Plenty of it because this Friday, the 8th of December, will mark two years since the launch of Friends of the Tennis Podcast, our subscription service, which funds our trips to the Grand Slam tournaments where we produce daily editions of the Tennis Podcast. In fact, alongside sponsorship, it funds everything we do with the Tennis Podcast year round. And that's been 125 free to air editions of the show this year plus since that launch of friends of the tennis podcast two years ago we have produced 48 editions of the show available exclusively for friends and we have another three more planned for this month of december we are 
just getting started as a podcast, as a subscription service. And we want to tell you about some of the plans we have for 2024. Um, They include live shows on our main feed at Elevated Events in 2024. What do you mean by Elevated Events, I hear you say? Well, we have to come up with our own wording because the tennis tours leave us in a bit of a... (laughs) Leave us in a bit of a sticky spot with that. Um, So it means that following on from the success of our nightly live from Wimbledon YouTube shows, yes, as previously mentioned, we are YouTubers now uh, during Wimbledon this year, which, by the way, uh, we are very much hoping to repeat in 2024. We are going to stream live editions of the Tennis Podcast on YouTube on a further 14 occasions throughout 2024. These shows will include previews of the Australian Open, Roland Garros and the US Open and our recap shows of Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Rome, Canada, Cincinnati, the Olympics and all of the final four events, uh, all of the finals events at the end of the year. And all of them will, of course, also be available as podcasts as usual. Don't worry. If you're not into the video thing, that is fine. It'll all be podcasts as well. We'll make sure you're not missing out on anything. But if you do like seeing our faces and occasional Billie Jean cameos, then, well, we have you catered for. Um, We will also be doing monthly live shows just for friends. We will live stream a show on YouTube just for Friends of the Tennis Podcast every single month of 2024. These will incorporate our Q&A shows that we already do, plus some themed discussions. That was Matt's idea, and we're very excited about it. Uh, Again, all of these will be made into podcasts, don't worry, but they will be exclusively for Friends of the Tennis Podcast on their feed. Uh, In all of the live shows that we produce on YouTube, we will have our live chat function running so that we can bring you together, which is one of our major goals going forward. And this is a big part of our plan for 2024 because we're also going to launch next year a new community platform for friends of the Tennis Podcast subscribers to bring us all together in a safe friend space. We've spent the last 12 months looking into options for this. It's been a, a big part of our ongoing discussions and brainstormings and things that are keeping David awake in the middle of the night. And we've decided to work with our friends, platform providers, supporting cars to enable this. So if you're a friend subscriber, you'll be able to log into your account and find a message board just for you. Uh, And for us, of course, we hope to launch this early in the new year. We're not entirely sure exactly what date it'll be ready. Uh, We've been working with supporting cast uh, ahead of the launch um, to make it the the best possible platform it can be. But it will be in 2024. And as soon as it's up and running, we will let you know. So all of these live shows and the community platform will be coming your way next year we will also release our tennis relived show about 50 years of the wta on friday another about the life and career of maria bueno and also one final q a show for friends before the month is over that is making me feel uh busy just thinking about it. Uh, If you're not already a friend and like the sound of everything we've just been talking about 
and want to support the show, you can become a friend by going to tennis.supportingcast.fm. Of course, the link is also in our show notes there. You can become a friend for £5 a month or £50 for the full year. You can get a shout out for £100 for the year or introduce a show for £150. Those prices are all the same as for 2023. No cost of living crisis at the Tennis Podcast, folks. Um from Friday the 8th of December, we will release our annual categories that are available until the start of the Australian Open or until they sell out. Uh, top tip, pet mascot slots always uh, fly off the shelves very, very quickly. Uh, these categories are higher value friend subscriptions that enable you not only to get access to all the standard stuff, uh, the extra podcasts, the live shows, the community platform, but also to make your pet an episode mascot, a Grand Slam mascot, or even a mascot of me, Matt or David. You'll also be able to sign up as a guest editor if you'd like, take us on at predictions or become an executive producer and top folk. That is all coming from this Friday. And again, we'll all be via our friends sign up page, tennis.supportingcast.com. .fm. And if you had a pet mascot, were a guest editor, predictions contestant or executive producer, first of all, we love you and thank you. Um, and also just a quick reminder that your subscription will not be automatically renewed. You'll need to return to our friends page to choose a category and re-enable your friend subscription. And we really do hope you do that. Just one last bit of business before you get to stop hearing my voice. Um and that is that we want to mention something, again, that we've been talking about quite a lot throughout this year that we're going to be doing in 2024, and that is carbon offsetting our travel. Um, it's really something that's been bothering us for the last couple of years. Um, existing friends that listen to our US Open review show will remember that uh, it was something we talked about a lot, the impact of climate change on, obviously, the world, but in this case, the sport in particular after those climate protests at the US Open and the pretty unbearable conditions that we experienced there. And it was a, a big chunk of Hannah's incredible voice note in that show. So it's been on our minds. Um, and the the tennis podcast is at its best, we think, when we're all together and particularly at the Grand Slam tournaments. We do believe there is a huge value in us going to those tournaments, bringing you the daily shows live from on the ground. But that obviously comes at a cost to the environment and that is something we're acutely aware of. So we have made the commitment that we will be offsetting our travel. We're going to be buying carbon credits to the value of our estimated carbon footprint for 2024. And if there's any additional uh, footprint beyond what the estimate be ends up being then we will we will offset that as well um so cue uh influx of messages about our virtue signaling cannot wait for that uh but overall um those are our plans for 2024 and we are excited and proud um and so grateful to everybody that has supported the show up to this point to get us to the place where we can be making plans like this confidently 
um we're we're very grateful to everybody that has got us here and we are so excited about the future i think that that word confidently is a very important one because we as you said we i think we first thought uh, seriously and, and actually did research into the idea of having a community space for friends of the Sunday's podcast well over a year ago I'd, I'd made some investigations had some conversations wasn't completely confident frankly with 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 what was the best measure and we try to go not not slowly but we try to be sure when we release something when we when we make a new uh venture into youtube for instance a lot of a lot of how to's with tennis with podcasts will say you need to have a youtube channel you need to be doing everything on youtube well we we had to be we took some convincing with that and we we didn't do it until wimbledon properly and i think when we did we really did it did it pretty well and we were really pleased with how it went and so that's how we want to try to uh, advance and evolve what we do but we're always trying to make it better we always want to try to make this a better experience for you as listeners viewers but we want something that you can come together and be part of with each other because we hear so often from people who say you're my tennis friends which is lovely for us it's a lovely lovely sentiment but we feel like there's so many people out there listening to this that wouldn't it be great if they knew each other and be able to talk to talk about tennis together and it not be Twitter wherever the moment you say anything, somebody comes piling in on you who doesn't care a toss about the tennis podcast or doesn't care about anything you do other than just to give you a hard time. Well, that's not what this is going to be. This is going to be somewhere where like-minded people from all different backgrounds, all different countries. There's, there's more than 100 countries of people listening to this show and we want everybody to have the chance you don't have to if you don't want to but it, we want it to be there for you to to experience the sport and love it together um the community itself is you know it's going to evolve it's not going to be perfect when we first launch it it's going to be pretty basic i suspect because we're, we're just starting off but we're going to keep adding to it and trying to make it better and make it as good as we can yeah, and that'll be a collaborative process, won't we? We'll we'll listen to you all about what you want and what works for you, um, and we'll we'll try and make as much of it possible as we can. Yeah, we are we're launching a tennis themed rival to Elon Musk's X. We're taking on the big dogs. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be slanging us off in weird conferences <laughs> before you know it, telling us to go ourselves uh we're excited aren't we matt very very excited and and honestly i think um i think wimbledon this year was was a bit of a game changer for us wasn't it in terms of that community feel that that we felt out that was out there in in those live chats on on youtube and, and we wanted to be able to do more than that hence Hence the YouTube shows that are coming, and and hence the community platform, and also I think I think we all enjoyed doing the the podcast live. Um, and again, that's that's still going to be worked out a little bit whether we're doing those those shows at elevated events immediately after finals or the next day on on a Monday. You know, we, we'll be sort of playing that by ear a little bit and, and feeling that out, but obviously advertising it well in advance so as many people can watch live at the time. Um, but yeah, I think these are all things that hopefully help to 
grow what we already have without taking away from what we already have uh, i think i think that's that's really important for us that the podcast remains as it is really and, and unchanged and, and yet we find ways to grow as well so hopefully that's that's all gonna come together next year looking forward to it Absolutely. Here, here. We have our next friend show coming your way on Friday, the 50th anniversary of the WTA. If you're thinking of joining as a friend for the first time, you do get access to the back catalogue up to this point. Um, so if you're thinking of doing it and you can afford to, um, we'd love it if you did and came and joined the family. Uh, and the link to do it, of course, is in our show notes. Uh, we have a mascot for this episode. Mascot. Uh, the mascot is Fizzy. Fizzy is owned by Simon Wood and his partner, Leo. We know Simon. Hello, Simon. Simon says Fizzy is our 11-month-old Cavapoo, who we got Aww. in February to keep our other pet, Chester the Rescue Cat from Battersea, who was a mascot in 2021. I remember Chester very fondly. Uh, and Fizzy uh, was acquired to keep Chester company. She loves going for walks each day around the streets of Ballon while I listen to the pod, as well as racing around Wandsworth Common with other canine friends where we live in South West London. Uh, Cavapoo in South West London, Simon. <laughs> I am feeling like an influencer right now. Uh, Simon is a board member for Pride in Tennis, uh, which is a great organisation. Their aim is to make tennis in Britain an environment which is safe and inclusive for all LGBT plus players, coaches, officials and fans. In conjunction with the LTA this year, they've set up Rally Allies, a training course aimed at all tennis venues to make them more LGBTQ plus inclusive and activated more Friday Pride Days, um, which... Uh, Simon says, Catherine supported at Queen's. Yes, I did, um, at all the major tournaments. It's a great initiative. Well done, Simon. Well done, Pride in Tennis. Uh, we're very supportive of what they do, and we're very supportive of Fizzy's cuteness. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's Cavapoo, isn't it? I'm a big fan, uh, but Fizzy is incredibly cute. Slightly different uh, colouring to Billie Jean. She's sort of white and caramel, but she has the exact same look about her doesn't mm. she and one of my favorite things about the um software that we use for our agendas is that there's no way to make the images small they just take <laughs> up the entire screen on our agendas so, so fizzy is and all other mascots are always just so so vividly in our agendas i love it Mm, Fizzy is about 40 times the size of Rafael Nadal comeback <laughs> news, as yeah. it should be Fizzy. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Fizzy. And we, of course, have our mascots. This is the last time we'll get to say this. Uh, David has Maisie. David, oh, Maisie, we won it. We won it. You won it. Yeah, just the one trophy, though. Well done, Maisie. It was all you. Uh, I've got Xenia, I think, a valiant second, Matt. Uh, yes, I believe that is correct. We'll take it, Maisie. We will and take it, Coming on it, strong Matt. at the end, Catherine, I tell you, you, you were yeah. chasing me down, extending your lead over the others. I was. Thank you very much. Um, Matt, oh, Darwin. Just just sorry, Darwin. I well and truly let Darwin down this year. Just, just a, Let that be a lesson to you, Darwin. Just a miserable display from hey. me. Look, the the common denominator here over the last is two Darwin. years of failure is Darwin. <laughs> just, Darwin's just, curse. Just pointing out the stats. He's cute. 
but he might not be very good at predictions. We Billy you, Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, and we've been so grateful to have them all year. One last time, guys, on three, three, two, one. Jamie, Jamie Hannah, Hannah, and Andrew. Uh, if you have a shout out and you haven't had it yet this year, don't worry, they will roll over into next year's yet. So do not panic. Uh, we'll be back with part two in just a moment's time where we'll be talking to Matt Futterman from The Athletics. So make sure you stick with us for that. But before then, I would like to hand the floor over to my great friend, David Law. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, uh, this is the portion of the show. I mean, we normally do it at the end, but we we decided to do it at the end of part one because this is the part that I know that I'm going to be on. I may well not be on part two um, because it's it's probably going to be recorded late at night. And as we know, I can't stay up very late these days. Uh, and Matt Futterman is the man you'll want to hear from. Well, Normally we would have shout-outs right here, um, but this particular edition of the Tennis Podcast is going to be dedicated to just one person, and that's my dad, who very sadly passed away over the weekend. And, um, well, I just wanted to to mention him and pay tribute to him. I didn't know whether I'd be able to come on the show today because, obviously, it's been a very emotional time for myself and for my family. Um but my dad was, well, not only the reason that I'm alive, obviously, but the reason that I was able to have a life um, that meant anything at all. Because he was ever reliable. He was ever supportive. He believed in me when probably I didn't deserve it. Um, the lost lawyers, I'm talking to you. Um, but he was an entrepreneur. He was exuberant. Uh, he was enthusiastic, hopeful, ambitious, and believed that life was for living and making the best of. Um, and if I can follow in his footsteps, then I'll be pretty happy. That description sounds quite a lot like someone else I know, David. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he um, he influenced me in just about every way, I think, and. Uh, and I'm very lucky to be able to say that he was my dad. To Trevor, we'll see you in part two. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. 
but if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Welcome back to part two, where I am joined, as promised, by not one, but two mats. Sometimes one mat isn't enough, so we have to get another one into the party. Uh, Delighted to say that on the line from a vehicle in California, we have Matt Futterman of The Athletic. Matt, great to have you. Great to be here. I just want to be like Pam Shriver, who's always calling you guys in from, you know, her vehicle in California. So um, that's what I, I, I figured I do like Pam. And, you know, you don't you don't do badly if you do that. Are you somebody do you ever nap in a car? I, I'm I've I've taken naps in cars before on on the job. That's no judgment here if that's. <laughs> I probably, yeah, I think there's probably been the occasional nap in a car at some point, you know, like I, I, I can't remember a specific one, but um, yeah, certainly I'm sure I'm sure that has happened. You, as a journalist, you sometimes you have to kill time. There's a lot of waiting around and uh, sometimes the best way to kill time is uh, refresh. Preaching Preach. to the choir, Matt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um well, I mean, there's 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 lots of reasons to have you here, but there's one very particular reason to have you with us today, uh, and that is a story you wrote a few days ago um, that that is potentially pretty huge in terms of the tennis world. We're talking, you know, existential political stuff, which is right in the tennis podcast sweet spot. Um, I'll. I'll read out the the meat of the article and then we can, can get into it with the details. Uh, headline, Tennis's Grand Slams plot deal for Premier Tour that would revolutionise the sport. Uh, the goal, according to five people who have been involved with and briefed on those discussions, is to form a partnership a partnership with at least the 10 largest tournaments and their own events. So Wimbledon, the US Open, the French Open and the Australian Open to create a premium tour that resembles a tennis version of Formula One. Uh, the move comes as the sport's most powerful entities, executives and top players have come to accept that tennis in its current form does not work nearly as well as it should. Among their criticisms, it is confusing for fans to follow. Hundreds of millions of dollars that could be earned are left on the table. It's nearly endless schedule over taxes top players whose careers are cut short by injury and mental fatigue. For a week in Turin, Earlier this month, top officials in tennis, top officials in tennis, eagerly awaited the proposal from the biggest and most powerful entities in the sport. Roughly following roughly six months of debate and discussion, 
the organisations that operate the four Grand Slam tournaments have come together with a rare unity. Several of the officials interviewed for this story asked not to be identified to avoid jeopardising their professional relationships. Ultimately, officials with the other governing bodies who were interim left without getting the long-awaited proposal. Executives with the Grand Slams who declined to comment uh, or did not respond to messages seeking comment have told officials with the men's and women's tours they needed more time to finalise their proposal. The goal is to have a plan ready to present when the sport gathers in Australia in January for the Australian Open. Um, I mean, this is pretty seismic, Matt, right? If this, I mean, I know there's a lot of ifs here. As you've you've stated there, this is a a rare show of unity from obviously not all, but some of the sport's governing bodies which well rare as you say that it simply doesn't happen and it, it it you know it does feel like it could fall apart at any minute but if this happens as as reported as it has the potential to this is existentially huge for the sport right a la a la live and golf and the pga is that is that the right take i mean it could be or it's all sound and fury signifying nothing you know i i mean it's it's if you talk to people who have been around the sport for 30 years they they say oh yeah we went through this discussion in 1998 and nothing happened and then we discussed it then there was a lot of talk about it in 2008 and you know then inertia took hold and so yes i think it is really big that these people are talking about it and they seem serious about it i don't doubt that they weren't i don't know if that construction is right if i don't doubt that they were serious or weren't serious but i'm sure they were serious when they have discussed it before and it didn't come through and i mean there's a lot of well-meaning people who want this to happen and and then the lawyers and the bankers get involved and that's when things sort of get complicated is there anything that you've learned over the course of of putting this story together, which it sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm guessing I, I won't put you on the spot, but, you know, this has been in the works for six months. I'm guessing you've you've known about it for, for a fair while. Is there been anything to indicate to you that this might be different to the, the various rumblings that we kind of always hear in tennis about the potential for something like this? I do think it's different only in the sense that I've never heard such anonymity about this sport is broken. So that's one thing. Um, The other thing that I think is really important is that is and don't discount this. And I think off I think people often discount it because its launch has been you know, people don't really necessarily understand what the Professional Tennis Players Association is. Um, but one thing that it is, is it's Novak Djokovic. And, you know, his word is important. And I think he would like to see something like this. And, you know, he's he's supportive of it. And, you know, that's that's important when you have people pushing for something and also i think there's a kind of unanimity in how much sense it makes at least from a business and and a sport point of view 
um, you just don't have anyone saying an 11 month season with, I don't know how many tournaments are there? A couple hundred or something like that. Um, too many. Yeah. Too many to- with all of these tournaments and, you know, this thing that never ends and driving down prices because people can compete against each other. You don't have anyone arguing in favor of the status quo. I mean, maybe you have somebody who owns a 250 somewhere who doesn't want to see that discount. who doesn't want to see that discounted. But, you know, it's possible that 250 could become more compelling in in another scenario. Um, so, I, I mean, I think I think that's one of the big things that, you know, sort of drive a lot of the momentum at the moment is that, you know, a lot of tournaments think it's great. A lot of the executives think it's a good idea. A lot of the Grand Slams think it's a good idea. Um, you know, there are there are issues with it and there are big issues with it. And there will be people who come out of the woodwork who will do everything possible to stop something like this from happening. Um, but ultimately, if you have the best players in the world sort of banding together and saying, no, this is ridiculous. We're just not going to play. We're just not going to play an 11 month season and, you know, get paid relative crap for it compared with the share of the revenues that people in other sports get. Um, then I, I think you do have a lot of reason for some sort of change to happen. That's really interesting that you mentioned the, PTPA and you've said it there and you mentioned it in the article as well because my my initial reaction on on reading this was that as you said it makes a lot of sense to streamline the sport and it sounds great for top players it, you know it really does but then I was thinking and re- reading a lot of the reaction to it people were thinking what about lower ranked players what does it do for them and is is the mission of the PTPA not to help some of those lower ranked players as well and make it more viable that more players can be professional and, and, and earn a living from this sport? It just strikes me that there seems to be a slight sort of contrast there between what the PTPA might have pushed for in the past and what it would be pushing for here. Is that is that fair to say? What are you referring to as lower ranked players? Are you referring to 50 to 100 or 100 to 300? Um, I would be saying the second category there, outside the top 100. Okay. So, and I'll ask a question, that one of many questions I don't know the answer to. (laughs) Is the championship in Premier League football or in association football, is it in better financial shape now than it was, say, 20, 30 years ago. Before like, the ha- Premier League. Well, before the, yeah, before the Premier League. Yes. Is it, you know, like, is, what's, the, what's the quality of that? And, and, and the reason I'm asking that question is because if you had a system, and I'm not saying this is going to be the way it works, it's just one idea that I mm-hmm. mentioned in the story that it could work. If you had a system sort of like it's in golf where, you know, you're you have your ranking on December 31st, and you get the equivalent of a tour card, a PGA mm. tour card. Okay, so uh, imagine what the competition is like <laughs> for those next hundred players at playing in those events in order to get into, you know, 
the show as it's as, as you know it's as it's called in baseball you know, major league baseball um so you look at it in other sport in other sports that like that just because tournaments outside this tour are outside this tour doesn't mean they wouldn't necessarily have a lot of the things that go for them that that are that go for them at the moment and it also doesn't mean that they wouldn't have a certain a certain amount of vitality um or that they could be constructed in such a way to have a certain amount of uh, uh, more, even more vitality than just you know random tournament in Basel in October, um, which the people of Basel enjoy now and probably could continue to enjoy, and maybe it means something because there's a bunch of people playing there who are desperately trying to you know get into the next level and. That becomes a huge thing as that weekend, you know, as that weekend in, you know, in English football is when the championship teams are trying to make it into the Premier League. And also speaking our language here, Matt, I appreciate it. Yeah, no. And I could make the same analogy. (laughs) I can make the same analogy with minor league baseball in America. Minor league baseball is a massively successful business because in most cases, especially at the high levels, the stadiums are really nice. The tickets are priced the right way. It's a great fan experience. 90% of the people in the stands have no idea who's on the field. It doesn't matter. It's a great experience. So it's on the lesser tournaments to deliver a great fan experience now rather than just you know write a check to some fancy player and have them show up, put them on the billboard. Maybe they play at 60% and, you know, and that's that. So Mm. I I don't, I don't think, I I, I don't think it necessary. I don't think you can automatically say, Oh, though that don't downgrades all these tournaments. And that means less money for um, players, 100 to 300 who, by the way, aren't breaking or aren't making money now. Anyway, they're losing money. They Mm. could also get also, if you, raise the value if you have this if you raise the value of this you know premier tour and it generates a lot of money you could that gives you flexibility to create a financial mechanism where those players are on salary you know so they have a base um and you know at the same time you know none of this would preclude francis tiafa from playing uh, playing in washington if washington weren't were to not get into you know, the, the Premier League of tennis. Um, he could still do that. He could still accept an appearance fee as he does now. You know, it, that's the thing. It would still provide some flexibility. But the really important thing, and this is from a health and competitive perspective, is he would no longer feel that, okay, I have to do this because if I'm not playing, someone else is, and I'm not earning points, and they are, and I'm standing still, which means I'm losing ground. And that's an awful, awful scenario, I, I think, for the health of these athletes. And um, I think, you know, that's what that's what that's how they experience this. And that's the main thing that they want to uh, that, that, that they want to address is they want to. I mean, they, yes, on one level, they want to play less and earn more. But on another on another level, they want to play less because they're breaking. 
I don't know whether this is a a question necessarily able to answer, but obviously uh, the the weight and the power of players' voices is a huge force in this. If it is to happen, it is it is contingent on 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 the weight of those voices. How how much do you have any idea of how much the the needle moved during and after Cancun um and the the, the top the top players go it, it 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 seems to me like that might have been a bit of a wake up call for the top WTA players um in terms of how they view the sport how they view themselves within it and their power to maybe change things um am i am i barking up the wrong tree here or did did things move a bit I think there's a I think Cancun was an understanding and not just Cancun um it was it, you know this it, this was going on in Asia with the players too the the the, the women uh they were just they had sort of reached a breaking point in terms of the lack of sort of voice and respect that they felt like they had um and just being constantly jerked around and you know told to jump and not told and you know told not to ask how high uh and it just you know there was that but there was also the the absurdity of you know sending Yannick Sinner out at what 12 30 in the morning to play the match in Paris I mean there's sort of all these things that happen a lot and um, and finally, players, I, I think, are sort of notice, you know, are sort of coming to understand. And I, I will give a fair bit of credit to the people at the PTPA who, you know, the sort of professional staff there who come from other sports and have done this el- elsewhere and are saying are saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen, like you don't have you shouldn't be treated like this. This is not how people at your level of sport are treated in other sports. It just, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, I mean, Kathleen, you were in, you're in turn. I don't know if you noticed the, the warm up area where the, you know, where the players get, get ready before. I mean, look, these are the top eight players in the, in the world. They are, you know, they're, they're trying to get ready for what is supposed to be the fifth most important tournament of the year, arguably, certainly the richest one. Um, and their warm-up area is basically like a couple of bikes in a hallway, and, you know, with r- rubber mats. I mean, I, I saw Novak, and Novak is like showing up essentially like with a yoga mat and like laying it down and his own and bands and like, you know, it's kind of crazy, you know. And they just sort of do this, and this is in like some back corridor of a stadium which has been thrown together, and then you and then you like, you know, you walk. 50 meters outside the stadium over into the hospitality area for where the staff of the ATP hobnobs for a week. And it's like a five-star restaurant. And it's sort of like, what, what is this thing existing for? Like, who's the priority here? And so, you know, you saw that in Cancun, but really, you know, you see it at nearly every tournament, except for a handful, um, of just sort of people, the the people who are supposed to be the most important people in the show, kind of being taken for granted. Can I ask what the sort of 
Saudi Arabia element is to all this. You've got a you've got a line in the piece about how you know maybe it's it's part of the strategy to try and ward off a similar turn of events to what's happened in Gulf with the with the live rupture. Would would the you know would Saudi Arabia be maybe looking to have one of those big ten events? Like where do they come in here? I mean, I'm sure Saudi Arabia would love to have a big tennis event. Um, it, it, whether it's a whether it's the one of the tour finals or 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 something else they you know they've stated they have made no secret of their interest in being involved in tennis at a high level and you know the the, the slams they they kind of you know they have a pretty good setup right now where they're sort of the culmination of these swings and if and that's just something that's just something that happens basically out of the goodness of the tours hearts at the moment. I mean, there there's, there's negotiation, but like they sort of set it up to try and make it work that way. But I think what you saw when, you know, the ATP started making noises about putting a Saudi Arabia, uh, a Saudi Arabia, well, I'll call it for, if it's a mixed event, I don't want to use the, the men use the word use the term masters the the, the women use thousands just to you, you know for obvious reasons because the women should be playing an event called a masters event um but that probably confuses tennis fans like everything else in tennis confuses <laughs> confuses tennis fans but an, an event like that if they suddenly do that it basically ruins the australian summer of tennis um, and if you're Craig Tiley, you know, the head of tennis Australia, that's really important to you and you want to protect that and you can call up your, you can call up your friends, uh, and at the other grand slams and say, Hey, look, if they want to do this to me, they can do this to anybody. And, you know, maybe if we, I think that, that was something of an impetus to sort of, okay, there, we need to sort of ward this off and figure out a better way. Would this be happening without Saudi Arabia on the table? It, it, it seems to me that because of what happened with Liv and the PGA and uh, how very, very broadly the, the, the PGA attempted to resist before giving in to the inevitable, um, it, the, there's other ways of interpreting it, but broadly... Um, it feels like other sports are going, well, they tried. It's inevitable. It's just a question of how we get into bed with Saudi Arabia now because their intent and desire to, to, to get into bed with, with sports governing bodies is, as you say, they're making no secret of that. Is this a kind of, um, a race to lure the Saudi Arabian dollar? That I think it's too early to say whether it's a race to lure the Saudi Arabian dollar, but I do think that it's great to have. It's I mean, you know, it's 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 God's gift to to the negotiations. If if somebody if there's a if there's an alternative sitting out there, um, a deep pocketed alternative that has shown a propensity to disrupt before. Um, and 
you know, I don't know that anyone really knows whether they would want to do something as dramatic as they did in golf, um, you know, which was, you know, not great, not great for Saudi Arabian PR um, for a year of, you know, people writing about uh, Khashoggi and human rights atrocities and all those other things. So I don't know if they would want to go through that again, but the idea that, you know, you have someone you could call who you could maybe do business with. Um, that's a great, you know, that's a great thing to have. Let's say this, um, this happens as, 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 as planned at the moment, as, as laid out in your piece. I know if there is doing a lot of heavy lifting and, you know, the tennis world is how it is, but let's say that's how it transpires where does that leave the ATP and the WTA? Uh, it could be in a number of different places. I mean, if you use the, the you know, if if you use the the framework of the settlement between golf and 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 the Saudis, you 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 basically have a deal where the the people who end up in control of the business side of the tour sort of control the purse strings and maybe the ATP and the WTA, you know, get to control the tennis related questions. Um, yeah. I mean, that's how it is in golf. Basically the PGA is you know, going to decide how long the rough is and the Saudis and their business partners, you know, get to run the business. So or at least that was in the framework of the deal. So, you know, there could be that. It could be the WTA and the ATP, you know, run, really have oversight of the, um, of the, you know, those two, the, the, the lower tier tournaments, the development rings, maybe they're, they're, they're sort of bridging the gap between the two. Um, I think there is still a role for them, but I think, I mean, I, I think, you have we have to understand that you know their role is it's 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 already somewhat limited i mean they sell licenses for tournaments um but in case of the atp there's a separate media company that controls the purse strings for the biggest and most important tournaments so it, you know that's that that's sort of a a separate a, a separate entity um, and you know, they, the only event that they really control is the finals. So, um, and yes, they can withhold, you know, they can, they have their ranking system, um, and they can withhold rankings points if they want, but, you know, we saw what happened once when, okay, uh, when a, when they withheld ranking point, rankings points and, um, you know. A lot of players still showed up at Wimbledon uh, to do that. So, you know, they, they're sort of, there's nothing in, you know, any sort of sports constitution that says they have to exist and they have to be primary. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, that, that Wimbledon last year ended up being a, re, a, a kind of a thought experiment played out. It ended up an illustration of, the ATP and WTA kind of showing their hands in terms of 
the power that they have and the levers that they have to pull, right? They they pulled the lever available to them and it turned out not to have all that much traction in the end. Yeah, not really any at all, right? Um I mean, it's it's so yeah, it's a it, it it's in in some ways, you know, that might have been an maybe that was an overreach on their part. Um so you know, I don't know, but I, I, I don't I, I'm still I'm still waiting to hear someone say, oh, no, 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 this is a terrible idea. You know, we can't do this. I do think probably the best argument that you hear made is, you know, this is a global sport. The sport has an obligation to, you know, go to lots of places and try and grow the grow the game. And how how can we do that if all we have? over 52 weeks is 14 tournaments that matter that anyone's paying attention to. And, um, I you know, suppose I, you could argue we already only have 14 tournaments that matter in, in some sense. Yeah. You may only have, I mean, in, to some players, you only have four tournaments that matter. Right. Um, mm. you know, it, 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 Novak Djokovic is, I don't really, he ended up being number one anyway, but he basically <laughs> said, "I don't really care about anything except for the slams, getting and getting ready for the slams." That's his. It's the entire year, and he sort of like presented this model, and you know, it seems to work. Seems to work out pretty well for him. Ask him again when he's on a uh, hundred eight career titles, shooting for Jimmy Connors' record, and showing up in uh, in Eastbourne trying to get over the line. Right. Right. Well, you know. He 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 has he. I guess everybody has the right to uh, change their tune when it conveniences them. Yeah, Novak Djokovic has the right to shift his goalposts. Um, I I get the impression, uh, Matt, that it could be quite a fun Australia in terms of moving and shaking on this front. And by fun, I mean you know extremely busy. But Australia, it is traditionally the Slam where all the journalists land. And suddenly there's some sort of huge news story which could, could never have been anticipated kind of away from the, the tennis court. And it does feel like this could be this could be the one this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think this is going to be something that certainly is going to be under a lot of discussion. Again, I think it takes a while for this to for this to sort itself out. Um but certainly it's going to be on everybody's mind at the beginning of the, at the beginning of yet another 11 month season. Um, and that, you know, and, and, and nobody likes that. Right. I mean, no, no, there's no, no athlete in the world that wants to play an 11 month season. So, uh, yes, I think it could be, it could be, uh, fun for those people who, think all who think all of this is fun um i do think also you know it's interesting when you talk to when you talk to tennis fans and just sort of lay people in parentheses you know my wife um who loves tennis you know she doesn't really know the difference between a 250 and a 500 and nobody know you know 90 98% of the people who love tennis they they just have no idea how it actually works and why it should work, why it works that way. And um, so it, it seems almost like what you'd be doing is you'd be sort of aligning the sport more with 
the habits of fans and consumers of it. Uh, and like I said, even people who go to these, who go to small tournaments, whether they're in Delray Beach or Estrell, I just don't know anyone who buys a ticket for a tennis tournament where uh, the number of rankings points on offer comes into play with that decision making. I mean, you go because it's a good time and it's a great experience and, you know, you see some high quality tennis and, you know, you have fun and you're outside in a lot of places. And so uh, that that all still exists. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, selling it in the right way. Oh, tennis and its seven governing bodies and two different, uh, no, sorry, sorry, three different uh, player associations. What a, I mean, it keeps us all in business, doesn't it? it to some extent, yeah. But, if, you know, <laughs> if, it, if it turns off lots of people, then it's going to put us out and then it'll put us out of business. So, and I think, I think that's it. That's, that's it's sort of a blessing and a curse in a way. And it's amazing to me that like it's 2023, it's almost 2024 and they're having this discussion. I mean, like every other sport kind of did this, you know, whether it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, like this is the sports world has been pretty static for decades, except for tennis, which somehow is still, asking itself these questions of how do we sh- how do we shape ourselves uh which is which is kind of amazing to me and to us matt that it gives us something to talk about and we are in the off season when we are thin on the ground with things to talk about so um we are we're always grateful for big existential stories and um we're very grateful to you for for coming on talking about it there i mean i could talk about it all day to be honest but it's all it's so much of it is hypotheticals i feel like we should just sort of have you back on periodically to to kind of check in on this situation and see where we're at with it and how it's evolved and the likelihood of it actually happening um so maybe we'll do that if your schedule allows I'm up for it, and I think it's going to be many months of uh, many months of discussions about this, and you know, in parentheses, lots of highly paid tennis executives essentially fighting for their relevancy and their paychecks and their jobs. Because um, at the end of the day, that is a lot of what has sustained the current professional tennis setup uh, and those seven different organizations and. Um, well, really eight if you count ATP media. Uh, so I think that's a, that, that's, that, that will be driving a lot of the momentum of it. And I think it will be, it, it will be important, um, to have someone. And I think that's probably where the PTPA comes in is to call bullshit on that and just, and, and just say, no, 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 like no one's buying a ticket to see you. They're buying tickets to see us and they're buying media rights. To, so we can be on television, not you. And so that's where that, that that's where I think a, a a good bit of the dragging out and um, negotiations are going to come down to. And to think it all started with that incredibly weird photo shoot <laughs> on a on a 
outside court at it was Flushing Meadows, wasn't it? It was, that? yeah, it was Pandemic yeah. Flushing. It was people were masked was, up. You were trying to tell who on. was who. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a lot of who is that tennis player happening. <laughs> right. It was pandemic. It was pandemic flushing meadows. But like you know, the interesting thing is like the slams like that organization because it's now you know it's men and women and they can deal with it. They, you know, they if there's an issue with a player or a setup or or potential all this like technical stuff that no one ever sees like they can go say so there's one it's like one-stop shopping for them um there's not you know player council of atp or like they you know they can it's a it's kind of a convenient way for them to involve players Mm, that makes sense um we'll see you in australia matt we will yes bring your racket I will bring my racket and, you know, hopefully have better luck and better information about, you know, whether it's social, whether it's social doubles. Or, oh, you're or, still or, on or, this, or, are you? Oh, you still. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'll adjust my runs accordingly beforehand. <laughs> to, to fill you in, folks, Matt Roberts lured Matt Futterman to our apartment, which which had a communal tennis court in in Melbourne, under false pretenses earlier this year, he well, you essentially got hustled, Matt. Quite frankly, is 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 the the broad brushstrokes read of things. Uh, Matt Roberts uh, promised Matt Futterman that he was going to be playing a, a a hit and giggle, a light social doubles so what does anybody do in that situation when they've received such an invitation they think i'll run a half marathon first get my get my proper workout in it's definitely what i would do in that situation so matt shows up at uh, matt futterman rather shows up at our door uh already having run a half marathon and uh matt roberts dastardly matt roberts as he shall now be known uh, then declared that uh, all other members of the hit and giggle doubles had dropped out and they were going to be playing an incredibly competitive singles match that would count towards their atp head-to-head <laughs> and fulham had just beaten chelsea i was on i was on such a high there was there was no way i was losing <laughs> yeah yeah no i you know maybe it would have gotten me a game or two, a game or two more but not more than that i, I i've always maintain the result the, the the result would not have changed but uh you know i will i will adjust accordingly and um <laughs> yeah and i'm certainly raising my hand for any sort of social doubles which is probably my best which is probably my best tennis self these days yeah i might bring my racket and throw yeah. my hand in for some social doubles so long as i don't get hustled in the process <laughs> uh all in all uh i'm gonna end this podcast on the same note we started it which is can't wait for Australia. Counting down the days. Really can't wait. Matt, you've got a holiday with an alligator before then. Alligator, crocodile, crocodile. something like that. Hopefully, crocodile. hopefully not the crocodile. Yeah. Surfing with a crocodile. Very much hope to see you in Australia, Matt. Thoughts I hope. To, I hope to get there with all my limbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we will all be heading to the Australian Open because of Friends of the Tennis Podcast. It's because of you that we've been able to rent accommodation for the three of us for three full weeks. Um, but we are also thankful to AO Travel, who have been able to help us with our flights this year. So a big thanks to AO Travel while we're there. We're very much hoping to meet up with our prize draw winner, Vittorio, in the new AO Travel Lounge, where we might get to wine, dine and do the Australian Open in style. I don't know where it says why it says might there. Uh, definitely intending to wine dine and do the Australian Open in style. Uh, if you're there and want to get your own AO Travel Lounge experience, you can either after an afternoon day session or before the big match in the evening. You'll get amazing views of Melbourne, overlooking the famous Grand Slam Oval and Melbourne Park Precinct, and can enjoy the atmosphere of the Australian Open with great food and beverages. It's now available as an add-on purchase to your tournament tickets, so visit ozopentravel.com to book ozaupentravel.com to book now and wine, dine and do the Australian Open in style. Matt, Matt, David in absentia. We'll see you there. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 